Take a copy of God's Word in hand and turn to the book of Genesis. We will complete the um, 18th chapter of Genesis. We are in a series this summer, Sunday mornings, going through selections of the Abraham narrative. The title of the series is The Faith of Abraham, and so the selections have been chosen because these are ones that expound to us and instruct us in the faith of Abraham as we are the children of Abraham as those who've been saved in Christ. Before we read Genesis chapter 18, uh, verses 16 to 33, let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help this morning. Would you pray with me again? Our great God, we come to you because we have nowhere else to turn, that there is nowhere else to find the strength, the nourishment, the eternal life that we desire. It is only in your son, Jesus. So we ask that in the preaching of your word, in the reading of your word, that you would give us Jesus this morning. That we may feast upon him, the bread of life, and that we would have all that we need for our walk with you. That he might be glorified in our lives, and that it might be evident that we are growing in His grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the Word of God from Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 16. The men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked? Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, 
Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Amen. And that ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Throughout human history, we can, in hindsight, discern glimpses of God's justice and mercy. We can discern glimpses of his judgment at times. On March 4th, 1865, President Abraham Lincoln gave his second inaugural address. It was given a month before the end of the American Civil War, a war in which over half a million soldiers were lost in battle. It was a little more than a month before he will be assassinated. At 703 words, it is the shortest inaugural address in American history. Despite its brevity, it is filled with theological profundity. In the address, Lincoln states his conviction that the Civil War was God's providential judgment against our nation. Lincoln scholar David Herbert Donald points out that, in quote, Lincoln had consistently held Northerners as well as Southerners responsible for introducing slavery and for protecting it under the Constitution, end quote. President Lincoln called on the nation to fervently pray that, and I quote, this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. But not knowing when the war would end or how many lives would be lost, he affirmed that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Quoting Psalm 19.9 from the King James translation of the Bible. Abraham Lincoln, the president, could have very well quoted Abraham the patriarch and said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? President Lincoln is asking God for mercy while attesting to the righteousness of God's justice. Asking the Lord for mercy while attesting to the righteousness of God's justice is what we see Abraham the patriarch doing in our passage, in Genesis 18, 16 through 33, and then particularly in 17 through 30, we learn about God's mercy, his justice, his judgment in a series of three speeches. The first and second speech are given by the Lord. The third speech is a dialogue between Abraham and the Lord. When the Lord speaks in verses 17 through 19, we learn this. Those who are in covenant with God 
are to be conformed to God's ways. Those who are in covenant with God are to be conformed to God's ways. In the Lord's second speech in verses 20 through 21, we are taught this. God is perfectly just in his judgments. God is perfectly just in his judgments. Then in the prayer dialogue between Abraham and God in verses 22 through 30, we learn that God's justice and mercy is our invitation to pray. God's justice and mercy is our invitation to pray. But first, those who are in covenant with God are to be conformed to God's ways. The setting is we have four persons making a short journey. They're, they have left Abraham's tent and they're heading towards Sodom. It is the Lord, two angels, and Abraham. And as they're walking, the Lord begins to speak. The first speech is a soliloquy. And I had to Google it, so it's okay if you forgot what that was from English class. It just means that the Lord is expressing his thoughts out loud. The way that an actor in a play would take a moment and speak to the audience expressing what is on their mind. Previously, the Lord has graciously exposed Sarah's thoughts. And now he's going to share what's on his mind. So the Lord begins in verse 17. He says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? The Lord is going to do something that's going to be known throughout the land. But he wants to make sure that Abraham rightly understands and interprets the events that are about to unfold in Sodom. The Lord's revealing his will to Abraham. And the Lord gives two reasons why he wants Abraham in the know. He wants Abraham in the know about what is about to happen. The first reason is that he wants a global, enduring witness to what is about to happen. In verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. The Lord has this in mind, and that he wants to tell Abraham about the outcome and the fate and the judgment against Sodom. The Lord will reveal to him what is about to take place because the Lord has a global purpose for making Abraham into a nation. Through Abraham, God seeks to bless the whole world. And this information that the Lord is sharing with Abraham is crucial to redemptive history. The Lord wants Abraham to learn something about God's character and nature because Abraham's descendants will have the privilege and the mission of telling the world about the one true God. That's the first reason. The second reason Abraham is brought into the know that he is told what God is about to do is that God wants to make sure he understands this event properly in order that he may teach his children and his descendants about his, this event. This event and the right understanding of it is supposed to be part of the shaping of God's people. In verse 19, God says that he will share with Abraham so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. How will Abraham pass on his faith to his descendants? Well, he is to teach them the way of the Lord in contrast to the way of the world. In Sodom, they have an illustration of the consequences of living after the way of the world. And he is to teach them 
not to go the way of Sodom, but instead to follow the way of the Lord. Well, what specifically are we told about the way of the Lord in this passage? Well, it says that they will keep the way of the Lord by doing, by doing, by doing righteousness and justice. Throughout the Bible, Sodom is held up as an example of unrighteousness and injustice, both in the Old Testament prophets and in the New. God wants the descendants of Abraham to reflect God's moral character. John Calvin explains that it is in the second table of the law, the second section of the Ten Commandments that teaches how to live righteously and justly. The second table of the law is the honor your father and mother and do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not covet. The first four of the Ten Commandments teaches how to love God. And Commandments 6 through 10 teaches how to love our neighbors. Calvin explains that, and I quote, By the words righteous and justice, God includes the kind of equity that gives each man his due. Justice implies the honesty and kindness that we practice when we strive to help our brothers in every way and avoiding hurting them in any way by fraud or violence. Righteous means that we stretch out our hands to the poor and oppressed, support good causes, and work hard to keep the poor and the weak from being unjustly hurt. These are lawful and good tasks that the Lord orders his own to do, says Calvin. Abraham commanding the next generation to keep the way of the Lord is a pattern that those who would share in the faith of Abraham are to practice. It sets out a pattern for us in the church and a pattern for us in the home. We are to command our children to walk in the way of the Lord. We are to disciple new Christians and new believers in the church to grow in obedience and godliness. See, here we see that the great commission that Christ gave to his apostles before he ascended into heaven wasn't too much different than the commission given to Abraham in Genesis 18. It was a commission to discipleship that Abraham is given. So as the Lord said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Abraham was to make disciples, circumcising them and commanding them to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. The church today baptizes disciples and teaches them to observe all that Jesus commanded. Now, to do this properly, we need to see in the text, the context in which Abraham is given this charge. We need to teach God's commands in context. There needs to be further explanation and instruction in order to see the beauty and the glory and the goodness of God's commands. There are times where if you're a parent or you're, you're babysitting or watching someone or you have a, a nephew or a niece with you where you give a command without explanation. Right? It's like, don't go in the street, don't touch the boiling pot of water. And if you had to explain that command before you gave it, it's too late, right? 
There are occasions where you, you do take the time to explain. No, we don't eat ice cream for breakfast. And this is why we don't eat ice cream for breakfast. I've had to say that before. And you give an explanation. And we don't train our kids to always ask why, but we also don't treat them like the family pet, like a dog. And we just simply command, sit, roll over, fetch. That's not how we teach our children. It's not how we disciple with the commands of the Lord. That's not what the Lord wants Abraham to do. That's not what we're to do. We are to shape disciples according to righteousness and justice in the context and with the pretext of grace. Where is grace in this passage? Well, it jumps out at us at the beginning of verse 19. Before Abraham is given this charge, the Lord says, For I have chosen him. There is a reminder of the gospel of God's grace. God's sovereign, unconditional election of Abraham preceded Abraham's faith, preceded Abraham's obedience. And so does grace precede our keeping of the law And it is by grace that we make any progress in godliness. God wants Abraham to teach his descendants that those who are in covenant with God are to be conformed to God's ways and not the ways of the world. In making disciples, whether it's in the home or in the church, we are to hold up the destruction of Sodom and say, this is where the way of the world leads. And instead, we are to say, Flee to Jesus. Walk with him. And don't set up your tent near the gates of Sodom. Then, I want us to see in verses 20 through 21, God is perfectly just in his judgments. Here there's the annunciation of the judgment of Sodom. And this is where the Lord begins to address Abraham. Back when Abraham and his nephew Lot split ways. We were told that the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. In chapter 13, verse 13. In chapter 14, the king of Sodom and the residents of Sodom, including Lot, Abraham's nephew, were rescued by Abraham. That was probably several decades ago at this point. God has shown Sodom mercy. The Lord has been patient with Sodom and her residents. Yet they have shown no signs of repentance. In fact, it's, we're given the impression that their, their sinning has gotten worse. It's gone from being described as great wicked sinners in 1313 to their sin is very grave in 1820. Their unrighteousness And injustice has increased. And God hears the outcry of those whom are suffering because of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. So what does the Lord tell Abraham in verse 21? I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Does the Lord need to go down to investigate? Doesn't he already know? God does already know that the sins of Sodom are very grave. Here he is speaking anthropomorphically. 
And he's doing so for Abraham's sake. Meaning that he is speaking as if he were a man. And what a man would have to do. In order to be a righteous judge, a man would have to go investigate the evidence and see for himself. So God is speaking of himself as if he were a man. But he's not. He's not limited like men. God knows. God doesn't need to go down to confirm what he's heard. He knew before the first cry was ever uttered. So why is he speaking in this way? Well, he's speaking in the manner of men to assure Abraham that his justice is righteous and perfect. He wants Abraham to know that when he acts in judgment, it is a just judgment because he executes accurate judgment. He hears the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah's accusers. He's not deaf to their cries, but he's not reliant on their cries to know that it is time for judgment. No, he knows more about the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah, more about them than anyone else. He knows the heart of every man. Nothing is hidden from his sight. God is a judge who never comes to a verdict based on false information or false misleading witnesses. When he delivers a verdict, it is never mistaken. It is never half true, half right. There's never a mistrial when God stands in judgment. For those outside of Christ, if you are not a Christian, this is terrifying. There is someone who knows every secret deed and every dark thought you've ever had is your creator and he will be your judge and one day he will hold you accountable. Consider God's just judgment against Sodom and flee to Jesus for rescue. For those in Christ, the truth that God is a just judge is a great comfort. Not because you are without sin, but because your guilt has been paid for the blood of Christ. The sentence you deserved for your sins has been paid for by your Lord and Savior. Before the throne of God above, you have a strong and perfect plea. According to Revelation chapter 12, your enemy, Satan, is trying to accuse you before the throne of God. But God being a just judge, does not hear those accusations. He will not allow them to stand in his courtroom because though you were guilty, you have now been pardoned in Christ. And because of the blood of Jesus, God's justice is not violated by your pardon. Because of the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ, your pardon is irreversible. And your pardon is just. And your God is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If God is the justifier of those in Christ, and Satan is the accuser of those in Christ, brothers and sisters, we must be careful about passing judgment on fellow Christians. When we hear an accusation against a fellow believer, 
We should be hesitant and not quick to believe it. Recognizing that the one who accuses Christians before the throne of God is also the one seeking to cause offense between believers. Someone recently reminded me of a verse that is very helpful in times like ours. Proverbs 19.11 Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. I'll be honest, many times I'm too easily offended and quick to anger. And I might try the excuse and say, well, it's pretty hard not to be offended about something right now. Just open up a web browser, turn on the TV, and it's in your face. We're living during the rise of what's been called cancel culture. It's no longer three strikes and you're out. Now it is one strike, you're done. God forbid, and God forgive me if I've treated a brother or sister in Christ in this way. God forbid, and God forgive us if that's how we've treated one another in the church. And what a witness could it be to our community if we were committed to in light of the cross of Christ, be willing to overlook an offense. To say that, yes, his cross is enough for my sin and his blood shed is enough to heal the wounds from when I've been sinned against. We can trust that God is perfectly just in his judgments and we need to remember that we are not. Finally, God's justice and mercy is our invitation to pray. This is here in Genesis 18, the first full-scale prayer recorded in Scripture. It's Abraham interceding for Sodom. And in the story, Abraham stands as a hero figure, boldly interceding for the sake of the righteous before God. But we need to pause for a moment and consider how we got to this point. Abraham is positioned as the hero interceding before God because it is the Lord who has prompted him to pray. It is God who took the initiative in telling Abraham about the fate of Sodom. The Lord has provoked Abraham to pray because God wants him to intercede for the wicked and for the righteous in Sodom. And so Abraham begins his intercession, making an appeal for, for mercy and mercy that does not deny God's judgment, but mercy that is based in God's just judgment. He reminds God, a just judge would not punish the righteous with the wicked. So Abraham is asking God to spare the wicked for the sake of 50 righteous. Now, 50 righteous isn't a large number. It's less than the amount of people in this, this room right now. But in those days, it, it is a substantial number. It would have been about the half, uh, half of a small town. 50 people would have been half the size of a, of a really small town. 
And as he's making his appeal, it comes to the summary point where Abraham proclaims, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? He's appealing to God's character and nature. He's not seeking to try to manipulate God. God can't be manipulated by Abraham's prayers. God will not act contrary to his own character and nature. And Abraham doesn't seek to ask him to act contrary to who he is. But this request, this intercession, is an appeal according to God's nature and character. However, Abraham doesn't have complete knowledge of who God is. He's, he's given insight. He's growing in an understanding of what God is like. In the back and forth, Abraham is seeing more and more and more of God's character. And he is astounded. See, it sounds like Abraham is trying to barter or bargain or negotiate with God. But consider how the negotiation goes, if that's the case. Typically in a negotiation, there's a, an offer and a counteroffer. There's give and take from both sides until there's an agreement. But that's not how this happens. No, this back and forth is different. Every time Abraham makes a request, the Lord says yes. Abraham is getting a greater and greater glimpse of the mercy of God. The Lord is revealing his will to Abraham, and in doing so, he's revealing more of what he is like. Once Abraham has appealed to God's character and nature, he's humbly reminded of his own nature. In verse 27, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. He is humbled that he is even having the conversation at this point. And seeing more of what God is like, he better understands himself. As Calvin has said, in knowing God, each of us knows himself. Could God be perfectly just and yet be more merciful than we believe him to be? This is what the Lord is showing Abraham. Abraham asked for the sake of 50. And the Lord says, I'm, I'm that merciful. He asks for 45. He says, I'm more merciful than 45. 40, more merciful than that. And then in verse 30, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30. Then it's down to 20. Again, the Lord says, I am even more merciful than that. Abraham is concerned maybe that he's pushed too far. And so he brings up the anger of the Lord again in verse 32. Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. God's not angry. God's not angry that Abraham asked for more mercy. The first full-scale prayer recorded in Scripture, it helps us to pray. It helps us to seek God. It's not necessarily helpful in 
giving us the mechanics on how to pray. It helps us pray by showing us who it is we are praying to. When we are praying for others, our intercession does not convince God to be compassionate. No, we pray for others because God is compassionate. We pray for the righteous and the wicked, confident in His justice, His mercy, His compassion. God is not miserly or stingy with His mercy. He is not angry when we ask for more of it. But He delights to show it in those who would seek Him. Someone needs to be reminded this morning that God is not angry that you have gone to Him again and sought mercy. He knows your sin better than you do. He knows your need better than you do. And He is more merciful than you've given Him credit for. In Genesis 19, we learn that there wasn't ten righteous in Sodom. So God destroyed Sodom, Gomorrah, and several other cities in the valley. But in verse 29 of chapter 19, it says, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Ten righteous can't be found and yet, Lot, backslidden Lot, and his two daughters are still rescued. It is a display of God's perfect justice and his tremendous mercy. But in this display, we learn that justice and mercy is not just something God does, but it's something he is. He is just, and He is mercy. And that is our invitation to seek Him. Amen. And that ends this preaching of God's Word. Let's ask for His blessing on it. Would you join me in prayer? Our great God, we come before Your throne in the name of Your Son, Jesus, And we ask you to forgive us if we've thought little of your justice and we have underestimated your mercy. May our eyes be fixed on the cross, seeing the great display of your justice and mercy and the grace that you have shown to us. And may we from that grace live not according to the ways of this world, but according to your ways. And may we be your ambassadors to those who are headed to the same fate as Sodom, crying to them to turn and to trust in Christ. We thank you that Christ is enough for our sins and he is enough for the sins of the world and for any who would come to him. And so may we be bold to proclaim the gospel of grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.